I'm going to invite you to turn in your Bibles to Mark chapter 1 as we continue on with an attitude of worship, a uh, getting our eyes to the heavens. Those songs are a great reminder that uh, we all come with needs. We, we come uh, in this life feeling brokenness of various kinds. And I wonder today what you have brought into this place in terms of uh, maybe a spiritual need, a physical need, um, whatever it may be, that you know that you need the Lord's help. We want to get our eyes upon the Lord this morning, and I want uh, to share with you some great things about Jesus and about his power. Last week we began a summer series on a journey with Jesus in the Gospel of Mark. Today's journey is going to take us with Jesus to a city in Galilee called Capernaum. And this is where Jesus lived, apparently, at the beginning of his public ministry, um, early in his ministry. Outside of the Gospels, actually, history knows very little about this town or this city called Capernaum. In fact, many have even denied its existence. Those who don't believe the Bible have said, you know, we don't see any historical traces of this place that the Bible speaks of called Capernaum because it is basically had been wiped out. Just wiped almost totally off the map until a couple of hundred years ago, archaeologists actually uncovered the city of Capernaum, even thinking that they found the Apostle Peter's home. And you could go there today and see a sign there about the Apostle Peter and his dwelling. Capernaum was apparently a pretty important city. Important enough to have a military base there. A regiment of soldiers, a, a military presence for Rome there at the time of Jesus. And there was a synagogue for Jewish worship where those who were devout followers of God, those who considered themselves the covenant people, the Jews, would come and there in the synagogue, they would study the Old Testament law and writings. There they would discuss how to live out the things that God had revealed in those words. They would teach their children there. The synagogue there in the city of Capernaum was apparently built or funded by a Roman soldier, a centurion. We find that out in Luke chapter 7. And Jesus frequently went to the synagogue. That is where God talk took place, if you will. People gathered together to pursue after God. And Jesus would go and he would teach and discuss the way of God there in the synagogues. And the synagogue in Capernaum is where we begin our journey with Jesus today as we think about the authority, the authority of Jesus Let's walk through this passage, Mark 1, verses 21 through 34, just in bite-sized pieces, and think about Jesus' authority together today. Let's read verses 21 and 22 as we begin our study. They went into Capernaum, and immediately on the Sabbath, Jesus entered the synagogue and began to teach. And they were amazed at his teaching, for he was teaching them as one having authority and not as the scribes. Jesus' authority, first of all, was displayed in his teaching. Jesus' authority displayed in his teaching. Hey, listen, Jesus was a teacher. Now, he was many things. But the teaching ministry was central to what Jesus came to do. In fact, 
later the apostle Peter would say to Jesus when, when maybe a tense moment had come, when Jesus was teaching some of what we call the hard teachings of Jesus, that many people walked away when he would teach certain things. And Jesus says to them, what about y'all? That's my translation. What about y'all? Well, you go away and, and Peter says, where else would we go? To whom should we go? For you have the words of life. And Mark's gospel opens up with this claim we saw last week that Jesus of Nazareth is actually Jesus the Christ, the Messiah, the anointed one, the one that the Old Testament prophecies had said would come and usher in the eternal kingdom of God and would teach people the way to God. Mark's gospel says that Jesus is that Messiah. And so we should expect that as a king, as a messenger from God, he has something to say on behalf of God. And Jesus came as one teaching with authority. Teaching with authority. What does that mean? We think about that. What does it mean to teach with authority there in the synagogue? Well, the clearest thing to say is what the Bible says, that it wasn't like the scribes were teaching, those who wrote things down that had a derivative authority or it was kind of, you know, the waterfall effect. And, and they said, well, the scribes would say, you know, you know uh, Rabbi Hillel would say about Moses, but also this one would say, and we're not really sure, there was no confidence there. Maybe, maybe they believed in the word of God in the Old Testament scriptures, but there was no authority. And so Jesus somehow was different. He comes with this authoritative teaching and it marks his ministry. And I think about what it would be about Jesus that had the authoritative ring to his preaching. Do you think that it was that he stomped his feet and spit a lot and yelled? Is that authority to just be louder than the next guy? Uh, probably not. Probably there was a precision Probably a clarity to his teaching. I would say this, there was a weightiness probably, a wisdom that just didn't appear to be mere human wisdom. That he had been taught by someone else and by someone else, but it appeared probably and felt as if, hey, this is coming almost from himself. Coming straight to us from heaven through this man. The word authority in Mark, the Greek is exousia. Exousia can be translated as power, as having jurisdiction, as having the ability to influence someone. Often it refers to even a supernatural authority. Authority not just in the physical realm, but in the spiritual realm. Hey, listen, I want to challenge you to read Mark's gospel with us this summer. No set reading plan, but just to read in Mark's gospel. And in that, I would challenge you to read it with an open heart and listen to the words of Jesus and to watch what he did and see if it doesn't speak to your heart with the authority of heaven. We live in a day of increasing confusion and deception and skepticism where everybody wants to do what's right in their own eyes. People think that they're not under anyone else's authority. I don't need anybody telling me what to do. We're skeptical about authority. And we wonder who should we believe? Who has the words of life? Our country and much of the world is in a battle right now for competing visions over one of the most fundamental aspects of human life and society, sexuality and gender. And these things, these teachings, steer our lives and touch every part of our lives. Who should we listen to? People wonder. 
I read recently of a businessman and philanthropist. By all marks, it looked like this guy has lived a wonderful life, a squeaky clean life. He's a Christian who had given some money and, and, and supported and, uh, a school, and so he was asked to speak at a graduation there at the school. And I read the transcript of the talk that he gave, and I would say it was very humble, very meek, very gentle, but he gently encouraged the students to embrace a biblical view of sexuality and marriage, man with a woman and so on. And you would not believe he and that school have been mercilessly degraded and threatened because of this. I even read one comment that said, now I put this in quotes, this, this is a paraphrase, but this is what it said. Take your stupid views back to the 1950s where they came from. Speaking about the idea that a male is a man, you know, you know male and woman and, and, and biblical marriage. Take your stupid 1950s views back to where they came from as if the view of marriage between a man and a woman or to be a male and female came from leave it to beaver. Oh, was it sure that's where it all started before that people, you know, did whatever. Almost all societies and peoples and nations and times throughout history have held to this basic fundamental understanding of male and female. Whose authority will we listen to? Who has authority to say what I am and what I am to do, what it means to be male and female, and how should I marry, and how should I order my life? Who has authority to say? And I'll tell you who has. The Creator. The one who created us, designed us. We are fearfully and wonderfully made. God has made you. You are no accident. While you may be confused about certain things to do with this because of all that you hear in society, listen. God has made you for a specific purpose, made male and female. But it's not just in that area of life that God has authority over our lives, but every aspect. And Jesus comes, and he wasn't teaching with uncertainty like the scribes, but he spoke with authority. He wasn't swayed by political lines, by party lines, or any of that. He was no respecter of persons, meaning he respected people, but he didn't teach out of bias. Well, I'm with this crowd, so I better say this. Oh, I'm with this crowd, I better say that. He just spoke the truth. Jesus would commonly say, verily, verily, I say to you, or truly, truly, I'm telling you the truth. Other people have told you falsehoods. I'm telling you the truth. This is how it is. And he spoke with great clarity and precision about the matters of life. Jesus would often say, you've heard it said, but I say to you. The contrast there is even your religious leaders have said this, but actually that doesn't even capture the heart of it. I'm telling you, it's this. So Jesus had an authority to his teaching. If you're looking for answers on any area of life, here's what I would say to you. I commend to you the teaching of Jesus of Nazareth. For he has the words of life and the wisdom that we need for life even today. Jesus the Messiah, his teaching carries the authority of heaven. And so Jesus' authority was on display as he was teaching. Let's move on now to verses 23 through 28 as we see Jesus displaying authority over demons or unclean spirits. Picking up in verse 23. Just then there was a man in their synagogue with an unclean spirit and he cried out saying, What business do you have with us, Jesus of Nazareth? Have you come to destroy us? 
I know who you are, the Holy One of God. And Jesus rebuked him, saying, Be quiet and come out of him. After throwing him into convulsions and crying out with a loud voice, the unclean spirit came out of him, and they were all amazed. So they debated among themselves, saying, What is this? A new teaching with authority? He commands even the unclean spirits, and they obey him. Immediately the news about him spread everywhere into all the surrounding regions of Galilee. I hope you see in what we're going through today that the Gospel of Mark is taking great pains to show us that Jesus has authority. He doesn't just speak to people in teaching with authority, but he even speaks to the spiritual realm, unclean spirits with an authority. So into that synagogue where Jesus is teaching, bust through the door a man who is afflicted. A man who is afflicted. And I told you last week that you can't go very far in the book of Mark without seeing this reality that there are spiritual forces and powers. We would call them demons. It doesn't actually say demons here. It says unclean spirits. And Jesus doesn't first speak to the man in the spirit, but the spirit speaks to Jesus. What are you doing here? We know who you are. Have you come to destroy us? Even the demons tremble at Jesus. Some of the people are not so smart, but the demons who oppose him even know that he has power over them. And they speak to him. We would call this, call this man a man possessed by a demon. That's how we would normally say it. What's clear is he was controlled by this evil or unclean spirit. But Jesus was not. Jesus was not at the mercy of the unclean spirit's power, nor was he afraid but simply he spoke a rebuke, a command to leave this man, and the demon had to flee. And it throws the man into convulsions. And I don't know, you know, it's easy to kind of just pass this right by because we talk about this stuff, or we used to, in church quite a bit. But I don't know about you, do you, do you see this picture, this, this scene in your mind? This is the kind of church service where no one leaves and goes, man, that's a great service. Wasn't that inspiring? Though, though it was, they were amazed. And it would be great for this man. But I want you to see, this is a ruckus. This is a mess. This is, for many people, fearful. And I don't know, you know, we don't see this a whole lot in church services. Most of all, when we see someone fall on the floor, they've fallen asleep and fell out, right? That's what we see in, in church services today. But I have been to countries and places where, actually, this stuff is... It's common. I don't know. Maybe it's part of the enemy's plan to help us to forget about the spiritual battle. It's not to expose himself too much in services. But I will tell you, I've been in other places. Christian counseling places and things like that. Where this very kind of thing seems to happen routinely. And what we know is there are spiritual powers and forces that have authority over us. That is, they are more powerful than people. But they're not more powerful than Jesus. And this man falls down with convulsions as the unclean spirits leave. And so we need to think about, and you have to think about, if you're reading the book of Mark, one of the most colorful uh, comments I ever read in a commentary, and it was a very scholarly commentary about the book of Mark. The guy write, writes this, he says, you can't swing a dead cat in the book of Mark without hitting a demon. That has, I've, I've remembered that for 20 years. Yes, 
and now you'll remember it. Demonic influence is everywhere in the book of Mark. Jesus' presence actually seems to expose it because they know a showdown is coming. Where Jesus and there is not present, where there is no spiritual activity present, you know what? I think the demons are like, eh, let's take a nap too. We've already got control here. But Jesus comes and he takes control. We need to think about the spiritual realm. In the spiritual realm, there is the triune God who is the only uncreated one, the creator of everything. Everything has been made through the eternal triune God, Father, Son, and Spirit. And he made myriads and myriads of angels. And all angels are not the same. Some, In fact, there are other names given to heavenly creatures such as cherubim, seraphim. We sang about those a while back. Sometimes it will talk about creatures or created beings that are spiritual beings, but it actually doesn't call them angels. Angels just means a messenger or a minister. But there are these heavenly messengers and ministers. There is order to the spiritual realm. There is authority. All authority is with God, and he gives out authority to act on his behalf, and even in the spiritual realm. But what we know is the Bible teaches us that there was a spiritual rebellion. Satan, who was one of the highest ranking spiritual beings, led a rebellion against God and sought to take authority for his own. He's the chief architect of the rebellion against God's authority. And many angels or heavenly beings, spiritual beings, fell with him. And they have been given a leash, if you will, an area, an ability to exercise some authority. Though they have come out from God's authority, they are seeking authority on their own. And here are these unclean spirits who have the ability to influence people. And I have to confess there's much that I don't know or understand about the spiritual realm, but there are many things that I do know. We can just study the book of Mark and see some things that are very clear. Here's number one. Evil spiritual beings are real. Though we don't see the actual being, we can see their influence. The Bible says that they're real and they're there and they have great power. That's number two. They're powerful and they exercise sway and authority over people. Not on behalf of God, but instead on behalf of their master, Satan himself. That's what the Bible teaches. Number three, Jesus clearly has authority over them. He's not fearful or scared or tied up in knots about them but rather he can simply speak a word and they flee and are removed. So Jesus has spiritual power. And we see his authority or power exercised right here. It's very possible. I would say, in fact, it's almost a sure thing that there are people in this room who have been undergoing great spiritual warfare. I wouldn't say possessed by demons or anything like that because we know Everybody is tempted and tested and influenced by the powers of evil. That's what the fallen state is. It is someone who has given themselves over to the authority of the evil one. There may be people here this morning that are keenly aware of the fact that the evil one is wreaking havoc in your life, playing havoc in your mind and in your family. I would just say this to you. You have no power of your flesh against spiritual forces, but Jesus, when he is your master, when you come under his authority, he exercises his authority on your behalf. He gives us spiritual weapons. 
He gives us spiritual armor that, you know what, we must put on. We can put on to fight the spiritual fight. And the armor belongs to him, but he lets us put it on. If you are being afflicted by evil, I would say run to Jesus. Run to Jesus. Thirdly, Jesus' authority is displayed over disease and sickness. Let's read verses 29 through 34. And immediately, this is Mark's, one of his favorite words, transitioning to a new scene, immediately. He's, he's moving this thing pretty quickly. And immediately after they left the synagogue, they entered the house of Simon and Andrew and James and John, with James and John. Now Simon's mother-in-law was lying sick with a fever, and they immediately spoke to Jesus about her. And he came to her and raised her up, taking her by the hand. And the fever left her, and she served them. It says in verse 32, Now when evening came, after the sun had set, they began bringing to him all who were ill and those who were demon-possessed. And the whole city had gathered at the door. And he healed many who were ill with various diseases and cast out many demons. And he would not permit the demons to speak because they knew who he was. There are some people who say, that the Bible is very uninformed. It's just an old book. And it treats all kinds of human maladies and sicknesses and illnesses and disorders that we might now call something like chemical imbalance or whatever. Treats everything, every kind of sickness or whatever as a demon possession. That is not true. This passage is very clear. There is a distinction made here between disease, sickness, that is caused by a pathogen and one that is caused by a, an evil, unclean spirit. Very clear here in this distinction. There are those things that afflict people that are rooted in spiritual oppression. And then there are those things that are just pathogenic. They're sickness. And right here is Simon Peter's mother-in-law. And she's sick. It's an illness. The story moves from the synagogue now to the home of Simon Peter and Andrew. You know, it appears from these archaeological digs that the houses of this time in and around Capernaum they were almost like triplexes or apartments, if you will. There would be one entry in from the street into the area, but there would be a common courtyard. And in what is called a house, there might be three or four actually individual dwellings or houses. But it's one house, and the different families of the different generations would be there. And so they're there in Simon and Andrew's home, probably multiple generations. And here is Simon's mother-in-law, and she is quite simply sick. She has a fever. She's laying there in bed, and immediately when Jesus gets there, say, man, this lady is sick. And we don't know. I mean, what are they trying to do? Tell him, hey, don't come in here, put your mask on, wash your hands. No, no, no. They want him to heal her. His power and authority has been made plain. And he comes and he takes the lady by the hand, and he lifts her up. He heals her with a touch. All through the Gospel of Mark, we're going to find that Jesus has authority over sickness, disease, and even death. This authoritative power of Jesus in his teaching and what he tells us about the truth and the way of life over spiritual forces and unclean spirits and over disease and sickness. There is not one person in this room, not one person in this room who has such a great immune system and health that you are totally impervious to sickness and illness. There are things in this world that have power over you and me. Is that right? Yes or no? Absolutely. Things that we have no control over. Oh, sure, there are things we can do for our health to do better. 
to live longer, have better blood pressure, all those kind of things. I'm pretty sure it's not eating ice cream sandwiches every day, though that is my general vitamin that I take every day. I know it's catching up with me. There are things that we have no power over that Jesus has power over. He has power over it. No one else. The power of God exerted over disease and sickness. Jesus did not heal every person that he came across that lived in the region of Capernaum in those years that he ministered. But we see clearly that he healed many. In fact, as he started to do these things and the crowds gathered, people just flocked to him. And he exercised power over sickness and death. And I will tell you, if you become or you are a follower of Jesus, you will get sick. Eventually you will die unless the Lord comes. But he will exercise his power on your behalf with a total and complete healing. You will be given a body that is impervious. It's totally glorious. It's impervious to sickness and death. It's called the glorified body in the resurrection. There are those we even celebrated what God has done in Jason's life just a couple of weeks ago. There will be times when God does a miracle of healing, physical healing in this life. And we'll see that. Praise God for that. What I want you to know is that Jesus clearly, historically proven right here, it's in the book. Why do you think these people were amazed by Jesus? It wasn't just his teaching. It wasn't just what they saw with demonic spirits. It's that people saw that sickness and death ravages people, and they brought people to Jesus, and with a touch, with a word, they were made new and whole. That's amazing. We need that. We want that. And Jesus displayed his authority there. But I need to move on to the very last one. I'm going to throw this one in here. A fourth point, it's actually over in chapter 2 because it has to do with the authority of Jesus. We see Jesus displayed his authority by dealing mercifully with our sins. Turn over to Mark 2. And just real quick, I won't tell you the whole story. We'll just read verses 9 through 11. I'll cut right into the middle of this story Jesus says, which is easier to say to the paralyzed man, your sins are forgiven, or to say, get up and pick up your pallet and walk, but so that you may know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins. He said to the paralyzed man, I say to you, get up, pick up your pallet, and go home. So he, you remember the story? There are these uh, friends of this paralyzed man, and so these crowds... Jesus has come back to Capernaum. He had gone on a ministry trip. He said, I've gone not just to Capernaum to heal and to restore everywhere and to preach and to teach. And he comes back and the crowds flock back into him. And the house is so full that they can't get their paralyzed friend in. And so these guys, they, there's this little stairway that goes up to the roof. That's where they would go, you know, to get away from everything. If you lived with your mother-in-law and all of your family, right, and your brothers, you know, you need a place to get away. Sorry, mother-in-law. But you go up to the roof. And they went up to the roof, up those steps, and they peel away the thatch. And Jesus is down there ministering and healing. And they lower their friend down so that Jesus would heal him. And it says Jesus sees their faith. That is the friends, and that is the faith of the paralyzed man who said, I'm sure, take me to Jesus. And he says, son, your sins are forgiven. And you go, what? Your sins are forgiven. He said, that's what I said. Your sins are forgiven. And they begin to murmur. Hey, say, you can do all this healing stuff you want. You can deal with demons. But nobody but God has the power to forgive sins. And he just asked them a simple question. All right, which is easier for me to say? 
your sins are forgiven. Or to a man who has been paralyzed probably his whole life, get up, take up your mat, and walk. Well, it's easier to say your sins are forgiven because nobody can see the inner recesses of the heart except for God. So I can say that all I want. And Jesus says, and so to show you that I have the authority, the sign that I will give you to tell you that I have the authority to make you whole with God, to forgive your sins is I'm going to tell this guy to pick up his mat and walk and he's going to do it. And he does it. And the guy gets up and he's completely restored in his bones and in his joints. Jesus restores this man as a sign of this spiritual reality. Listen to me real quick. That Jesus has the power to forgive our sins. This is actually the most important miracle or thing that we're going to see today. The forgiveness of our sins. Making our accounts right with God. Jesus has this authority. A lot of people are skeptical of authority because people, you know, authority is a good thing. It's a great thing. God has ordained it for the order of society and for the good. I'll tell you what's a bad thing is corrupted authority. Abusive authority is a bad thing. And I want you to see the authority of Jesus. You know what authority looks like when it's done right? It's compassionate. It's merciful. It cares for those who are in need. It seeks the good of others. And we've got a totally different idea of authority in these days. What we see as authority when you get to a place of power is you're out for yourself, you get all you can, you step on people's heads. That's not godly authority. Godly authority looks like what Jesus is doing right here. Moving for the good of the people. And Jesus sees these men's faith. I'll tell you something. God is moved to act when he sees faith. Faith is waving the white flag in our war against God. Faith is saying, I have messed up. But I'm coming back to you, God. I'm coming to you for the restoration and the wholeness and the help that I need. Faith moves God. It is Surrender to God. It is asylum seeking. I'm in a faraway country, Lord, and I don't need to be here. This is a terrible place, and I'm under an oppressive authority. I want to come under your authority, which is good and caring and merciful. And Jesus exercises power when he sees this humble surrender of faith. Have you ever surrendered your heart to the Lord Jesus? To be forgiven of your sins. That is your greatest need. It's my greatest need. Physical healing is a great need. Freedom from evil and oppression, great need. Greatest need is that, folks, when we are not coming willingly under the authority of God, we're in trouble. We will come under the authority of God. The question is, will we come as a friend or a foe? Will we come as a citizen of the kingdom or a citizen of the evil one's kingdom? That's the question. Have you come to Jesus, waved the white flag of faith, surrendered your arms, and asked for the help that you need, the salvation that we all need? Capernaum is an amazing place to think about. You would think if ever there was a place
that would persist throughout history. It would be the place where Jesus did his greatest miracles, where Jesus made his home during his earthly ministry, where all of these things happened. You would think Capernaum would be like the thriving center of Christianity, wouldn't you? And yet, not many years after Jesus left that place, it was virtually wiped out. Why? They rejected Jesus largely. Oh, some were healed. Some were restored. Some were forgiven. But as a town, they rejected Jesus. In Matthew chapter 11, verses 23 through 24, listen to what Jesus actually speaks to this woe against the town of Capernaum. And you, Capernaum, will you be exalted to heaven? No. You will, be, you will go down to Hades. For if the miracles that were done in you had been done in Sodom, it would have remained. But it will be more tolerable for the land of Sodom on the day of judgment than for you. <laughs> you would think if ever there was a place that reached up to heaven, it would be the place that met the Messiah face to face. And he said, all of the miracles that have been done in you, Capernaum. I mean, Jesus did tons of miracles here. And many of the people it turned them against him. They didn't accept his authority. And he speaks this woe, and he said, Sodom, that place that was destroyed because of their great wickedness, they would have repented and remained if they'd have seen what you've seen. Think about that for just a minute. But instead, Capernaum will go down to Hades, to the grave. And indeed, that is exactly what history bore out. That Capernaum was destroyed. Jesus' authority was exercised there, but they didn't come under it. So I want to ask you a question, just personally. Are you under the authority of the Lord Jesus? Today, if you're not, today is the day that you need to be. So that you might be forgiven, restored, and reach to heaven. That is that he will take you to the place of eternal life. If you refuse to come under the authority of the King, of the Messiah, of the Savior, the Lord Jesus... You will be like Capernaum and you will go down to the grave in judgment. I wonder about this for America. I could say this. There is probably no other country that has had such a great move of God in it over and over again. There are churches, Christian churches on every corner just about in this part of the world. And yet we largely see people rejecting the salvation, forgiveness, and authority of the Lord Jesus. I would call you as Christians, we need to be praying more than we ever have before for this country to come back under the authority, under the Lord. In this time of response, I'm going to ask you to respond to the invitation of Jesus for healing, restoration, spiritual wholeness, salvation. Whatever it is you need to do today, I'm going to say to you today, there is nowhere else to turn but to the Lord Jesus. He has the words of life. He is the way to eternal life. You need that life. There are powers and forces and things in this world that you cannot overcome on your own. But he's come that you might have life and have it abundantly. That you might have it to the full. Wave the white flag of surrender. Repent and believe in the Lord Jesus Christ and you will be saved. Would you bow with me?
Right where you sit today, if you say, that's me, I know that I have come out from under authority of God. I have sinned against a holy God. And it's led me down a dark path. It's led me to despair. Right where you sit, turn your heart to Jesus. Tell him that you are turning from your own way, the way of the world, the way of darkness and sin, and turning to him. Believe in him by faith. Trust him as your Savior. Tell him that in the words of your heart. And he'll do a miracle in you. He'll bring life where there's death. He'll bring wholeness where there is fractured pieces. He'll bring life and light into your inner world. If you're here today and you just want to come forward and pray at the altar, you're welcome to do that. Grab someone, ask them to come pray with you for your need. Let's just turn over this time in our hearts to the Lord. I'm here to receive you if you want to claim Jesus as your Lord today. If you have some other decision you want to make public, you come in this time. Let's do business with God. We thank you for your church. We thank you for your word. We thank you for your son who has come and led us into life. Pray as we go about our daily life that we would remember that we are to be surrendered to the King of kings and the Lord of lords, living a life that is worthy, walking in a way that is worthy of the King. Help us by your spirit, Lord, to walk in victory. And we pray in Jesus' name, amen.